questions. Galatians chapter 5. Now, a few summers ago, we actually, a few summers ago, a few summers past, a couple years ago, um, we went and did all of the fruit of the Spirit, all of, all of those. Um, so we're not covering the fruit of the Spirit today, but we will, but we're not going to go as in-depth to those and do one each week. We'll cover in the sections. Um, but today we're going to cover the works of the flesh. And frankly, this is a tough passage in today's world where we have normalized most of these activities, uh, where they have just become so common throughout society that to stand up and say that these things are sinful and that uh, not only those in Christ but everybody needs to stay away from them, this is crazy talk in our world, okay? But it's not crazy talk here because this is the Word of God and it guides us into what is best for us and what will serve God's purposes and our holiness. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we turn to Galatians chapter 5. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us that we might understand your words, that they may penetrate to our heart, perhaps reveal those secret things within us, Lord, that we might be open to you and confess them and turn and move away from them, that our lives would demonstrate the things of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. If you remember just before Palm Sunday we talked about what it meant to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Um, and, And I'll just pick up in verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit you're not under the law. And now our passage. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So that tells you this is not an exhaustive list. Okay, these are just a taste of the sinfulness that we participate in. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Now, you may look at that, especially those last words there. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, what Paul, the, the Greek, gives us an idea there of doing things repeatedly, purposefully, habitually, unrepentantly, okay? As if they are normal, so I do them, and I'm not too sorry about them, okay? Okay? That means if you pursue those things in that way, that means your eyes are darkened to the truth. Okay? Your heart has become hardened to the truth. People such as that do not inherit the kingdom of God. This is one of what is known as the vice lists uh, throughout Scripture. We find them in Matthew, Mark, Romans, 1st, 2 Corinthians, here in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st Timothy, Titus, James, 2nd Peter, and Revelation. There are some sort of list in all of those books. Why? Because all those communities had problems with sin. And you're like, well, that sounds like us. Yeah, it sounds like us. I mean, it's just, there's no new sin in the world, I promise you. It, if, if it was happening today, odds are it was, it's happening 2,000 years ago and 1,000 years before that. Um, why? Well, because we're sinful, okay? We sin because of our natures, okay, our sinful hearts. It, it flows out of that. It's not our sins 
that make us sinful, it's our sinful natures that cause us to sin. Okay? Sin comes easy to us. It's our nature. Okay? And not, but not all sins come easy to everybody. You have to understand that. There are some people in our, in our lives, in our world, that because of either their, it could be environmental factors, it, like upbringing, it could be just their personality. Some sins are just unthinkable to them, uh, but that doesn't mean they're without sin. And others of us, we don't have a problem with it, okay, before we're Christians, because we just like it, so we pursue it. Not all sins, as I said, come easy, because there's a, an amount of restraining grace upon the non-believer, um, and when God removes that restraining grace, their sinful natures take over, and they begin to sin more. Now, for the believer, we have salvific grace, saving grace, and we are no longer slaves to the flesh, slaves to sin, but we're slaves to Christ. Romans chapter 6, chapter 7. Uh, Paul makes that clear. But that didn't mean we're free from sin. And Paul actually says it. He says, I don't know why I do the things I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I know I should do. Now, that's a universal statement for every believer. Because we see the things we should do, well, we don't always do them. And we see the things that we shouldn't do, and sometimes we do them. Why? We, we like them. We like sin. Okay? We like sin. That doesn't mean our, our fall into sin as a believer puts us outside of the kingdom, takes away our salvation. Remember, we are held in the hand of Christ, and he will never let us go once he saves us because it is God who does the saving, and he doesn't unsave us. We may fall. We may stumble. We may spend times in darkness or the wilderness, and Christ is here with us. The desires of the flesh are natural. It's natural human desires. The flesh wants what it wants. But we've been given the spirit that sets us free from that. Now the question is, will we exercise our wills as empowered by the Holy Spirit? Now remember, it's not empowerment because we, we know what it says. I know the scripture says that the spirit lives within us. What did the, Paul say to the Corinthians? The, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that God lives within you? So it's not just knowledge that enables us. It is the presence of the Spirit within us. It is we are able to resist sin because of the virtue of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That's how we're able to resist sin. Okay? And, and you may think, well, there are times in my life when, when I have resisted sin and sometimes in my life that I have not. Now, did the Holy Spirit somehow take a powder during those times no you still have a will you still have a choice you can see if I go down this road I know where it leads and that's sin and 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 it's kind of fun and I like it but the spirit says to go there the spirit has given me the power to go over here do I have the will to go over here and avoid that sin that's the big question now you might think well if I could just get away from these people who are a bad influence on me, then I wouldn't sin so much, okay? It's, it's really not my fault. It's their fault because they're leading me down that path. Now, this is, uh, if you've known anybody who's gone uh, perhaps to uh, rehabilitation for addiction of some sort, one of the largest problems they face is coming back into the same community. They've got the same friends. They fall into the same patterns of behavior. And pretty soon, that rehab is overshadowed by their immediate circumstances. Um, 
Now, if you just, in sin, it's that kind of way. We're just sinful all the time. Now, if I could just get apart from the rest of the world, if I could go off and live in the desert by myself or with a bunch of other men or a bunch of other women who wanted to get away from sin and get the sin out of their life, then I could live without sin. It's been tried since about the year 300. And you know what? They have taken their sin with them out into the desert. They have taken their sin with them into the monastery or into the convent uh, or into the cave where they used to live by themselves. There's one early church father or mother, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but they went into the desert, went into a cave, walled up the cave except for one brick. Okay, And somebody would come out once a week with food and put it in through the brick. And because they were so offended by the sin of the urban areas, now this is like 500 A.D., so so offended by the sin of the urban areas that they thought that the only way I can get away from sin is to go and live by myself, and they lived by themselves in a cave for a while, uh, longer than I would want to live in a cave, until... They began to see visions of the Lord, and then they figured that was enough that they had been separated, and they then raised up a community of people like them. You know, frankly, if you go and live in a cave for two or three years, I bet you you're going to see visions too, okay? I think that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but they were still sinful in the cave, okay? It wasn't like, well, I don't have to participate in the sinful world. No, they were sinful in the cave. They were still in need of the saving grace of Christ, whether they're living alone or whether they're living in the midst of others. So the human condition really is divided into two groups, believers and non-believers. Each group faces corruption of sin, but the non-believer faces sin without the atoning blood of Christ. Okay? And therefore, it's sin that pours out of the non-believer, while at the same time the non-believer suppresses the truth... Romans chapter 1 in particular. Um, And what happens, one of the ways that Paul describes the judgment of God is that God gives them over to their lusts and the lust of the the flesh and their passions as punishment for their sin. You think, really, that's punishment for their sin? I want to sin. I like this sin. I'm in it. And so what does God do? He lets me go further into it. Okay, further into sin as punishment because I then, I, I, I close out, I'm, I'm further closing out in, my, in the hardening of my heart any talk of grace or mercy. And as we talked about in Sunday school, often we see those who are in addiction, they don't ask for help until they have bottomed out. Okay, and that's one of the ways that God may use it as correction. He also may use it as judgment. In the Old Testament, one of the ways that he would judge his sinful, disobedient people, he would give them bad leadership. He would give them corrupt priests and corrupt kings, okay? And they would lead them astray. Think of Eli's sons, and they were so, so very bad. Think of almost every king in the northern and southern kingdom. Um, and we, we went through Jeremiah, you could see there's just so many names of evil kings uh, throughout that. And how would you like to be known for all eternity on your tombstone? And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? That's not what I've written there. Now, I won't care what you write because I'll be with the Lord. So you can write anything, but don't write, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, okay? 
That's not how you want to be remembered. Um, so let's, let's look at this passage and these words in particular, and, and perhaps why Paul uses these words in particular. Um, pr- Paul provides us these sin, this list of sins, and there are four categories of sins here. Okay, Four categories that defile the individual. Um, so he begins with uh, the sexual immorality that defiles the, the individual, um, immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are characteristics that are basic to every human uh, sinful desire. They are collectively characteristic of societies throughout history. Uh, When a society allows these things to run unchecked, to run amok, uh, then they become uh, exponentially uh, multiplied as the Lord removes his hand and um, as he removes his divine restraint upon people's lives. And to some degree, the judgment is society kills itself because it gets what it wants. And that's more sin. Could be the society, could be the individual. Either way. So, and we have seen this in our lifetimes. And I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on your toes. Because I know a lot of people love Disney. But Disney's bad. You know, that you, it's not... Sleeping Beauty that I grew up with. We used to sing all the Disney songs. I know every Disney princess. I want to tell you that. I can sing all the Disney princess songs. But, but they want our children. And they have said it clearly. They want to lead our children away from God's word. And that is a terrible thing. And, but people like it. And they get into it. And they don't want to get out of it. So let's look at what it says here. The first word, Immorality. This is the word pornea, from which we get the word, obviously, pornography. It means illicit activity outside of marriage. Any activity outside of marriage, it falls into this category. It could be prostitution, it could be premarital, it could be adultery. Um, but pedophilia runs the whole gamut. Anything outside the marriage bed is considered immorality. Remember 1 Corinthians, we looked at just a little bit here, but Paul is writing to this group that is really tied to the, the world and, and the gospel has come to them and they're, they're trying to come out and figure out what it means to live uh, godly lives in this pagan world. And Paul writes into the church. So this is still in the church. I mean, it's in the church today too, but Paul's writing directly. And in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he says, it's actually reported to me that you have immorality within the church. It says somebody is in an illicit relationship with their stepmother. Basically, that's what it says. He says that kind of immorality doesn't even exist in the Gentiles. How can you tolerate that within the church? And he says, kick the person out. You've you've challenged him, kick the person out. The body is not for immorality. It is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Paul says, flee. When that word flee immorality, to flee means to run away. Pick it up and run away from it. Don't just go, ooh, there's immorality. Run, run, flee. The second word is just a restatement of the first, basically. Impurity, uncleanness. Uh, A catharsis is a cleansing. So in Greek, you put an A in front of it, you have a catharsis. So this is an impurity. Impurifying. How about that? I made up that word. It's an impurifying thing. So when someone, uh, when we talk about here a catharsis, um, it was also a word, I'm sorry to be so graphic, it was also a word used for the pus that came from open wounds. Okay? 
That's what impurity means as Paul is using it. So he's describing in a different way the first word of immorality. The third word, sensuality, or in the old way we used to say it, lasciviousness. You use that in a sentence this week, okay? Lasciviousness. The Greek means with no restraint, with no limits, okay? There's just no restraint on this immorality. That's what he's saying. That's the work of the flesh, without restraint. And we think, well, you know, it's just a little bit. I'm just sitting a little bit. But Paul says the work of the flesh will eventually result in activity that is without restraint. In my lifetime, I have not heard a better example of this, and this goes back many years, to James Dobson's interview with Ted Bundy before he was executed. Okay, Now, I'll just give you a brief history. James Dobson focused on the family. Ted Bundy convicted of murdering many young women. And he told Dobson about how he got there. Now, understand this is in the context of he's going to be executed in a few days. So he says, when I was younger, teenager, my dad had magazines at home that I looked at. And I began to get real interested in that. And then I would go and watch these movies, these sexual movies. And then from there, he would put it into practice with different people. And then he got into uh, the more violent things and, and watching them. And then he began to figure, it, 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 it be, he wasn't satisfied by just watching. He had to go and do it. And that's what led him. And he said, I can trace these behaviors back to the time when I was just innocently looking at the magazines my dad had. He said that's how sin grew. It grew without restraint and resulted in the murder of quite a few young women. Then there's the second category. So that's the individual, defiles the individual. The second category, the flesh, deals with our relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Okay, idolatry. We'll start with that one. Idolatry is obviously the worship of anything but our Heavenly Father. And it's throughout the Old Testament. It's even practiced in the New Testament. It is practiced today. The flesh will make you worship something, someone, some event, some experience, some hobby, some form of entertainment. You will worship something. Okay? It just is the way that we're built. We want to worship God. Anything that gets in the way of us worshiping God and having God first in our life becomes an idol. And this is as much a work of immorality as immorality itself. Because there's nothing more immoral than idolatry, than worshiping something other than God. So this encompasses any false religion that is out there, any um, material, any goal in life, any substance, anything a type of achievement, even another person. You love another person more than you love God, then that person is an idol in your life. Okay. So the flesh distorts our relationship with the God, causing us to worship other things. And Paul, these are kind of subsets or or, or, um, uh, supporters of idolatry. He says first, sorcery. The word for sorcery is pharmakeia, which we get pharmacy or pharmacological from so in here in the first century it was quite common in 
um, idolatrous practices to involve drugs. Okay, we think of the Native American practice in uh, peyote, something like that, where they they take the drugs and then go into this altered state where they feel that they can commune better with their God. Paul tells us to be what? Sober-minded. Okay? Do not become drunk. Become filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he, the thing about Christianity is we are to be clear and sharp-minded as we come to the Word, we are to, and, the, and the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us insight. We are not to get out of our consciousness. We are not to get out of clear thinking so that we can somehow really get close to God. You want to really get close to God? Spend time here in the Word. Spend time in worship. See, this is what the flesh does. The flesh causes us to want to distort our perception so that we can have some concept that, that I'm really close to God and it's these things that help me get that's what was going on here. In the book of Revelation, we read about the horrors of the coming judgment. And even as the judgment of God comes, John says, the people do not repent. They see the judgment of God, but they flee to their idols and cling to their idols, which are man-made. And they do not flee to God, even in the midst of judgment. Third category begins with the word Enmity. The third category deals with our corruption of our relationship with one another. Enmities. Now, it is singular here in the uh, English Standard Version. Uh, in Greek, it's really plural. Enmities. Hatreds. Now, this type of hatred is not an apathetic hatred. It is a hostile hatred. Hatred. Okay, it's not something that, yeah, I hate you, but I really don't care. No, it's, it's I hate you, and I'm going to attempt to destroy you because I hate you. That's what he was talking about. We're marked by all kinds of hatreds, almost at every level in our lives. And as a result, those hatreds are marked by these things. Strife, that's quarreling, fighting, backbiting, rivalries, jealousy, which is the anger that's produced and exacerbated by the fighting, the quarreling, the arguing. Okay, all these things go together. We don't quite get them in the English, but they all build on one another. We see outbursts of anger. That's one word in the Greek, and that means exploding anger. Fiery rage. That's what it means. Not just, how could you do that? It, it's, if you've ever seen someone who becomes you know, almost apoplectic in anger, and they can't control themselves, that's what it's talking about. Dissensions. Dissensions are a result when men are moved by their selfish desires, their selfish motives to the exclusion of others. Envying. Now, envying and jealousy start, they sound a lot alike, but in reality, envying is not just seeing you with something and going, man, I'd like to have that. Envying is, I'd like to have it, and I wish you didn't. Okay, it's, it's that bad. It's more than jealousy. It's like, I'm jealous because you have it. No, I'm, I'm envying that because I want it, and I don't want you to have it. It's a very selfish item here. So what is natural to all human beings is to destroy our lives, to destroy our relationship with God, 
through idolatry to destroy our lives with immorality, to destroy our human relationships with hatred and jealousy. Why? Because I'm sinful. Because that's what we do when we're sinful. The flesh also defiles objects. Look at verse 21. Drunkenness, orgies, the excessive indulgence of alcohol. Now, Paul talks about alcohol in plenty of places. And and, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus turns water into wine. It's not juice, it's wine, okay? It might not be a $100 bottle of wine, but it's wine, okay? But it's that excessive use where you lose your capacity to discern where you become so inebriated on a regular basis that you have trouble functioning in the world. That's what he's talking about. And then part of the application of that would be in carousing, in orgies, and in things like these. He doesn't list everything. He just gives in things like these. Our pursuit of sin is constant in, as humanity. It just is. We think, oh, could things get any worse? Well, yeah, they can. Okay, they can get worse. We can do more sin. And we think, uh, you know, always Fred Sullivan or Ed Sullivan, Ed Sullivan, you know, only showed Elvis above the waist because his hips were sinful. You know, how sinful are those hips today in comparison to what we see? Uh, They're not. Mm -hmm. Well, they're amazing. This is what the flesh produces. And Paul says, I'm telling you now. And I've told you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice in a habitual, purposeful, unrepentant way. That's what you do. You're not in the kingdom. He says, it's not what you profess that is proof of your faith. If you profess faith, then it becomes how you live. Okay, How do you live these things out? Shows the genuineness of your faith. Those whose lives are marked by these works of the flesh are not in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he gives one of the viceless. Okay, he lays it out for us. These are hard things in our society, in our world, because they become so common over the years. They just are. But the great part that Paul talks about, again, in 1 Corinthians... He says, and such were some of you. Okay, now how many of us are like, yeah, such was I. Such was I. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. That is the good news of the gospel. We may look at a list like this and go, man, I would never do that. We, we were just as sinful there. As anybody who's, who's not a believer who does these things. I can't look at Ted Bundy and go, man, I'm better than Ted. Well, before I was a believer, my sin was just as bad as that. I may not have acted in those fashions. I was just as sinful as that. But, it's a great word, but you were washed, sanctified, and justified. But when Christ opened our eyes to the saving work, his work on the cross, the atoning blood that would wash us of our sin. Now we look back and go, that was me. But let me tell you about what I am now. Let me tell you about the glorious work of Christ in my life. And that's what the next section is about, which the next couple weeks. 
But today all we get is basically it's tough because the world loves these things. But we're set apart from the world. We live in it, but we're set apart from it. And these things are not to be part of our world. The one who practices, 1 John 3, righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil's sin from the beginning, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came to take away our sin, to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So that we may have the power to live unto glory and unto holiness. So friends, we each have to look at our hearts. And if any of our lives are marked by any of these deeds. Now, we can even extrapolate out and, and idolatry. Well, I don't, I don't have an idol in my backyard and I'm not worshiping. But look at your heart. Is there something else in your heart that takes first place besides the Lord? Then we need to, to realize that. We need to confess that and move away from it. The Christian will sin, okay? I don't want you to think that, oh, the, you know, I'm a believer and, and I'm still sinning, so I must not be a believer. No, we'll still fall into sin. It's our hatred of sin that marks us. It's our desire to get away from it. It is our struggle that gets us, that shows our evidence to get away from it. Puritan named Hooper wrote this long, long book about the struggle of sin confirms the struggle against sin confirms that you're a believer because you hate it and you want to get out of it you may be trapped in it but you realize it is sin and you are struggling to get out now some of us may have struggled with sin for a year or for 10 years or for 20 or 30 that same sin just bites at our heels and will not give us peace it will not go away and it may be that the lord is saying my grace is sufficient for you in this. Are you going to trust me with this? Are you going to trust me with this? Paul said, hey, Lord, take this thorn of the, my flesh away from me. And, Paul's, and the Lord says, hey, my grace is sufficient. Are you going to trust me with this? Our battle is against sin, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's pray. Lord, what a, a great passage for us today. Because we live in a world in which these things become so common. But yet we are called to live differently. And it is not easy to live differently. We can see in a world that maybe our non-believer friends, they look like they're having fun over there. And it's something that I love, but I know it caused me, you're calling me not to. Or we may look at our own hearts and say, Lord, I've been struggling again and again and, and I've not been released with this. And and your words for us are, my grace is sufficient. Then there's that great word, but. For those of us who are in Christ, we have been washed in the blood of Christ. We have been sanctified, set apart for his work in this world. We are justified. We have been saved. Our eternal destination is secure in your hands. But there is the struggle of the holy and godly life. Lord, we see victories in our lives over sin. And we see failures. But we will cling to you. We will cling to the cross. There is no other place that we want to hold tighter to. But we realize it's not just our hold on the cross. It is Christ's hold on us. And we will be secure. And we will grow and we will learn.
because we have been washed and sanctified and justified. And we thank you and give you glory for this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn hymn number 334, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 334. 